John chapter 16 tonight. John chapter 16. We're going to actually be finishing up our uh, study of the last words of Jesus. And starting next week, we're going to do a short series to finish out the month of May and June, uh, looking at the parables of Jesus, which there's so much good stuff there out of the Gospel of Luke. But tonight, we're going to be looking at the last words of Jesus. So John chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. And let's keep this in mind as well as we look at these very last words of Jesus to his followers. He is less than 24 hours from the cross here. So it's not just what Jesus is saying that we have to take into context here. It's when he's saying it that even brings more impact to what he's sharing with us here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, so I want to begin in verse 25. Jesus says, I have told you these things, the things that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Jesus says, I've told you these things in obscure figures of speech, in symbolic, figurative language, if you will. But he says, a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in obscure figures, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, why is Jesus saying this? Well, first of all, Jesus isn't intentionally trying to, to cloud things with his own followers rather than give them clarity. But there's a couple things that we need to take note of here. One is we've already seen that Jesus says, I want to tell you things, but you're not ready. You're not in a state of mind where you're able to receive what I want to tell you. If I told you everything that was coming... It would, you know, freak you out. So I've, I've got to use figurative language, if you will, to, to shield from you the harsh reality that is coming in just a short amount of time. So Jesus is doing this, first of all, to sort of spare his own followers from having to deal with all that's coming Think of it even this way in our own lives with God. God doesn't usually reveal all that's coming to us uh, way ahead of time. He does it piecemeal. He does it as we can handle it. He does it as we grow. He does it as we can accept it and as we can receive it. And so this is one of the things that's happening here. But the second thing is this, and this is significant for you and I. Remember, one of the reasons why Jesus is using this kind of language and he's not speaking plainly to his followers at this point is because they, as of now, don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the ultimate teacher and guide. And so you can see the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in understanding things. I mean, even Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, had to weigh his words, if you will, 
because the Holy Spirit was not indwelling those who were going to listen and be able to help them grasp and comprehend and apprehend what God wanted to share with them. The encouragement for us is, we don't have that issue. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have Him indwelling us. He can guide us and lead us into the truth of God. He can teach us and reveal. So God no longer has to speak to us in any kind of obscure language. He can speak to us very plainly because we have the Holy Spirit that will enable us and give us the ability and the capacity to grasp and comprehend and apprehend what God is saying. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. The other thing I wanted to point out in verse 25 is this. The phrase, a time is coming, is significant. The word means a limited opportunity. See, Jesus, once he raises from the dead, is going to have a very limited opportunity to talk to them about the Father and to speak to them plainly before he ascends back to heaven to the Father. And so I wanted to point this out because many times throughout Scripture, the Bible uses this term in relationship to even our own earthly lives. And is reminding us that there are times where God gives us limited opportunities. That, that these opportunities aren't always going to exist. That these opportunities are going to come. And, and if we're going to continue to grow and all of that, we've got to seize those opportunities. And the disciples had to do the same thing. There was going to be 40 days, basically, between the time that Jesus rose from the dead and the time that he would ascend back to the Father. And in those 40 days, that was going to be an opportunity that they needed to seize because God, you know, was going to give them that opportunity and Jesus was then going to speak plainly to them, specifically about the Father. Notice in verse 26, at that time... You will ask in my name. Because up to this point, as we saw last week, they never needed to ask the Father anything in the name of Jesus. Jesus was there. And now Jesus is encouraging them to pray to the Father and to ask the Father in His name. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I said I would sort of try to bring even more clarification. What does it mean in the Bible? What does Jesus mean when he says to ask the Father in my name, to pray in my name. It means to ask in the Spirit of Jesus. It means to ask in a way which reflects and honors Him. So that as we go to God the Father and we pray and we ask and we request, are we asking in the Spirit that Jesus would? Are we in our ask? In the things that we are praying for and praying about, are we seeking to reflect Jesus and honor Him by the things that we ask or request? That's what it means to pray or ask in the name of Jesus. It's not just something that we tack on at the end of our prayers as some kind of like magic formula to go, okay, now God, now I'm going to end in Jesus' name and that means it's a sealed deal, right? No, no. To pray in the name or to ask in the name more reflects, again, our heart attitude, our motivation for what we are praying for and why we are praying for it. That's what it means to ask in the name of Jesus. 
And he's encouraging his followers to ask the Father. Notice he says in verse 26, I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Because Jesus says, I don't need to somehow like convince the Father to care about you. It's not like the Father is unwilling to bless you and to receive you and to care about you and to answer your prayers. No, not at all. I don't need to... to, uh, somehow, you know, make the Father okay with you or make you okay with the Father. That's never an issue. Because notice what he says in verse 27, and this was huge. For the Father Himself loves you. See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all love us. And it's not like, okay, Jesus loves me, but You know, when I talk to God the Father, well, He doesn't love me as much as Jesus does. No, He loves me just as much. Now, interestingly, though, this word love here in the Greek language is not the word agape. It's actually the word phileo. And what that word speaks of is not that God the Father doesn't love us with an agape love. He does. But Jesus here wants to emphasize the phileo side of God the Father's love for us. And what that word signifies is that God the Father has warm affection for us. He has tender, heartfelt consideration for us. It's the kind of love, if you will, that that friends are to have for each other, you see. It's the kind of love that fellow believers are to have for each other. Yes, we're to have agape love for each other, but we're also to have phileo love for each other. We are to have warm affection and tender heartfelt consideration for each other. And Jesus is pointing out, this is is who the Father is. This is how He feels about you. He cares about you just as much as I do. So you don't have to be reluctant to go to the Father And talk to him and ask him because he's just as much in love with you as I am. And notice, the Father is ready to hear and answer the prayers of the disciples and the followers of Jesus because of their relationship to Jesus. Because he says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. You have taken delight in me and have believed that I came from God. You see, that I just didn't exist from Bethlehem, that I have always existed, that I am the eternal God, and that I came from heaven when I was born through Mary in Bethlehem, you see. Verse 26 summarizes the gospel. Literally, Jesus in one verse basically gives his entire ministry of the incarnation in one verse. He says, I came from the Father, entered into the world, but in turn I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Right there it is. That's a summary of the gospel. So notice his disciples, verse 29. They say, look now. Now you're speaking plainly and not in obscure figures of speech. Can I just tell you, they don't have a clue. Because notice they say in verse 30, Now we know that you know everything and do not need anyone to ask you anything. In other words, Jesus, we, we fully appreciate and comprehend where you're coming from. And, and we, don't, we don't need to question you any further about anything because we know that you know everything. 
And it's almost like they're just sort of like sloughing it off. Like they don't want to, again, appear as if they really don't fully understand or grasp everything. And we talked about that last week. How Jesus knows that sometimes we're, you know, he knows exactly where we are at all times. And, and the disciples just weren't willing to sort of admit, maybe they still didn't get it. And so, in fact, notice, Jesus says, in verse 31, Do you now believe? Because that's really an important thing. At this present moment, do you have faith, trust, and confidence in God? Because it doesn't matter whether you had faith, trust, or confidence in God in the past. You and I cannot live off of the fumes of our faith in God in the past. That's why we've got to continue to grow and mature and become disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why our walk with God has to always be current. Because we cannot live off of the faith of our past. We've got to live off of the faith we have now. And Jesus is sort of challenging them here. He says, you guys are saying you fully get it, you fully comprehend it, you know, everything's okay, we don't need to question you any further. Do you really believe? Now listen, it's not like they didn't have any faith. It's not like their faith was non-existent. But what Jesus here is getting ready to point out is, your faith has not matured and grown to the point that it needs to. It, it still, you, you still need to grow in your faith and mature in your faith as we all do. And they were sort of again overestimating where they were spiritually. They thought they were up here spiritually and Jesus like, no, the reality is you're about here. You see. Yeah, you believe. You have faith. But do you now presently believe. And the reason why Jesus is saying that to them is notice what he's about ready to say. He wants to share with them just a little bit now about the reality that's coming. And again, remember, Jesus has sort of shielded his followers from the harsh realities that are coming because he doesn't want to just totally blow them out of the water and overwhelm them. He's trying to just give them what he knows that they can handle, if you will, at this point. But notice what he says. Look, he says. And that word means to perceive, discern. He wants us as his followers to always be people who are perceiving and discerning what's going on around us and what reality is. Because God wants his followers to always live in reality, not in some make-believe world. He doesn't want us to deny reality because God says, I will give you what you need to deal with reality no matter what it is. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. That's where we're going to spend our most time. But notice he says, look, a time is coming and has come. Because again, he's 24 hours away from the cross. When you will be scattered, you disciples, you'll be dispersed abroad, each one to his own home, and I will be left alone. Literally, I'll be forsaken. Yet he says, I'm not alone. I'm not totally without companion because my father is with me. See, Jesus understood what it was like for everybody to just sort of and not hang around when the going got tough. You see? And that's what he's sharing with the... You say you have trust and confidence and you say you don't need to question anymore and you got this all down, but Jesus is saying, 
And, and of course, we know that Peter's going to deny him. And they're just going to take off. I mean, it's like they're getting out of there. They're going back to their home for a while. Because what's been happening in Jerusalem is just totally shaking them to their very core. And Jesus says this to them. And so that's why he's trying to point this out for a couple things. He wants them to be prepared when it comes and not be caught off guard. But two, I think he's reminding them here, yes, you believe you have a level of faith, but your faith and trust and confidence really needs to grow. Because there are things that are coming. And you need to be prepared for those things. So then, the last verse of this great chapter, basically the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Because beginning in chapter 17, he's going to start praying to the Father and he's, he's done talking to the disciples. So that's why we're going to quit after verse 33 tonight. And for the next several weeks, before we shut down for the summer in July, look at these parables that have tremendous truth to them as well. So I, I hope you'll hang in there with us on Tuesday night. But notice what Jesus says in verse 33. And this is such a significant verse. That's why I wanted to spend the majority of the time we have left tonight in this verse. And I would even encourage you that if you memorize scripture, memorize John 16, 33. If you underline your Bible, underline John 16, 33. If, if you do anything to highlight something in your Bible... Make sure that this is highlighted, that you contemplate this verse, that you consider this verse, and that you meditate on this verse often because it is filled with wonderful truth from Jesus himself. First he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now let's go and let's break this down. First of all, Jesus says, I've told you these things. In the original language, what that means is I've told you over and over and over again. I have continually referred to these things. A good teacher is someone that is not hesitant to repeat things. Because in order for something really to, to be caught and grabbed a hold of in our lives, it needs repetition. That's why the Bible talks to us as disciples about going into training and about learning through practice and training and repetition. Because it's, it's as we do things over and over and over again in our lives that they become solidified in our lives, you see. And so Jesus here is saying, look, this isn't the first time I've told you these things. I've told you these things over and over. For three years, I've instructed you about these things. And we as followers and disciples should not hesitate to continue to hear the same things over and over and over again, you see. Because many times it takes, it takes a while for us to finally sort of grab a hold of it and get it or apply it to our lives. And that was true about what Jesus was getting ready to say again. Because he's told them this many times. So he says, I've told you these things so that in me, literally within me, you may have peace. See, Jesus is saying there is a sphere 
if you will. And if you stay within that sphere, which is me, you can experience peace. But if you get outside of that sphere, if you do not live within me, then you will not experience peace. Now, what Jesus here is referring to and talking about is not relationship. You and I can't, you know, live outside of our relationship with God. We are always within that. But we can live outside of fellowship with God, you see. We can live outside of Jesus in that context. And that's why Jesus is saying what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you're not going to cease being my disciples. You're not going to cease being my children. But even as my children and my disciples... You could still not experience peace in your life if you do not stay within me. If you do not stay in fellowship with me. That's why this whole passage of Scripture, these last words of Jesus, when we started out in John 15, Jesus talked about, abide in me, remain in me, don't live outside of fellowship with me. This is one of the key components that Jesus wants to hammer home to his followers. Because again... My friends, this is what Jesus is saying. As long as you stay within me, you may have peace. But if you live outside of that, then you won't. Which is why, notice very significantly, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may. It's not automatic. You may have peace. See, not every Christian has peace. Not every Christian is at peace right now in their life. In fact, there's a lot of Christians that, man, their, their insides are, you know, twisted and, and they're, they're all churned up inside. And, and if they were honest and objective, they would go, I'm not at peace in my life. Jesus would say, well, I get that. Because just because you have me as your Savior, you see, doesn't mean you will experience peace. Because the only way you can experience peace is in me. You see. In living in fellowship with me. Outside of that, you won't have peace. So that's why you have some Christians who are at peace and you have other Christians that are not at peace. Because it's not an automatic just because one is a Christian, you see. Again, this is why teaching people about spiritual growth and discipleship and all of that is so vital and essential. Because there are so many Christians out there who have never been taught about these things and they wonder, why am I never at peace even though I know God? Why am I not at peace even though you know, I know I'm saved? What, what's missing in my life? But they've never been taught about growth and maturity and fellowship with Christ and all these things that are going to provide the peace, you see. And they even think that it's something that's passive. Like we talked about several weeks ago on Sunday, that I can just sit back and God's going to do it all, right? And I have no responsibility. No, you see. I have to keep myself in fellowship with Jesus. I do have to own something or else I will not experience God's peace. 
Let's talk for a minute about God's peace. The word literally means wholeness. God wants us to be whole. You see. And the world and the devil especially seek to fracture our lives. To divide our lives up into all these different parts and pieces. And when our lives are like that, and they're not centered totally in God, that's part of why we don't have peace. Because if you will, what we think of when we think of peace, the tranquility of mind, the rest of soul, that inner quietness actually comes from our wholeness with God. And so that's why I share with Christians, look, if your life is here and there and everywhere and you're, you're you know, part over here and part over there and, and you're going in all these different directions and there's no centralized focus of your life, then that's why you're not at peace. Because God wants us to center ourselves totally around Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, be whole in God. Then all the other parts of our life will fall into their proper place and we'll have peace. You see, the problem is that the world and the devil want to fracture and divide us up and sort of get us to compartmentalize our lives into all these individual parts and keep us from being centered and whole in God. And the whole message of the Bible is, center your life, put, put God as the top priority of your life. Make Him number one. Make Him your first love. And then you'll be at peace. Because that's what wholeness is all about. Another significant thing is the word have. <laughs> I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The word have here means to carry with us always. It's not just a matter of like there's something lying there and I pick it up, but then maybe I put it back. It's the idea of I take hold of something and I carry it with me all the time. I don't leave home without it, if you will. It's always on me. Now today, the best illustration I can give because of the world we live in is your cell phone. I don't know whether you saw this, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I was flipping it around the other day and they were literally interviewing people that said that the one thing in their life that would just cause anxiety more than anything else is if their cell phone was taken away from them. They just, they, they just feel totally disconnected and, and if somebody, if they lost it, that would, just, that would just cause them great anxiety. They've got to have it all the time. I, I feel like I'm disconnected if I don't have my cell phone. And I thought to myself, wow, if Christians could have that kind of mentality about the peace of God, that that's my connection. My connection is with my God. And I'm going to live in fellowship with Him. 
And I may be disconnected from some other things, but I'm never going to be disconnected from God. And I'm going to make sure that when I do anything, I got God's peace and I'm carrying it with me. I can lose my cell phone, but I can still be at peace. You see. Because I'm carrying God's peace with me all the time. Push those over there. Then notice what Jesus goes on to say. This is amazing. He says to his disciples, in the world, you have trouble. Notice he doesn't say you may have trouble. He says, basically, because you and I live in this fallen world, we will have trouble. Now, notice something here. Amazing that most Christians don't even consider sometimes. We think that peace and trouble are mutually exclusive. That somehow there's no way I can have peace in my life and trouble at the same time. There's no way, right? But yet Jesus is saying that my peace can actually coexist with the trouble that you will have in the world. Think about that. He doesn't say, well, you gotta, it's going to be one or the other. You're either going to have trouble in the world or not. No, he says, in me... You may have peace, even though in this world you will have trouble. And they can coexist for this reason. Think of our life with Jesus and his peace as the eye of a storm. And what Jesus is saying is this. My peace is so settling It will give you such tranquility of mind because it's supernatural. It's a gift from me to you. It will give you such rest to your soul and such inner quietness that even though there's all this stuff, all this trouble swirling around you, you can still be at peace because you're in me. See, that's how wonderful God's peace is. He doesn't say, oh, you'll have peace in me because I'll get rid of all the trouble. No. God is saying, my peace is so amazing that you can still have peace even though you're going to have trouble. That's how amazing God is. That's how amazing His peace is. That's why it's supernatural. You see. And God wants us to get that. And think about it. Think about what the disciples would go through in the book of Acts. They were all, they will all give up their lives and be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to have trouble. Read the book of Acts. The church was always having trouble. But his followers could be at peace in the midst of trouble. Because God wants to take you and I right again to the center, into the eye of that storm, and put us right down there. And while all this stuff, all this trouble is going on around us, we can still experience his peace. By the way, this word trouble speaks about extreme external pressures that continually press against us. 
what the word means. And Jesus is saying, throughout your life, you're always going to have these pressures pressing against you. What God wants to do is build up our internal pressure, if you will, and strength to the point where, in spite of the external pressures coming at us and against us from all sides, we have through Him the strength to push back and and resist the pressure so that we don't crack, if you will, under the pressure. That's the kind of people God wants to build. And then He says this, take courage. It means to radiate confidence. Jesus says, listen, you say you believe in me, you trust in me, you have faith in me, you have placed your confidence in me, then radiate that confidence, even in this world where you're going to experience trouble. Because you're not living your life every day without the help of God the support of God, the aid of God. You have me with you. Therefore, you can always be confident. You see, we as Christians need to grow to be confident people living in this world. Not cocky, but confident. Confident not in ourselves, but in our God. And in what God can do and what God has done through us and what God is doing through us. Because we live in a world where there's very little confidence. A lot of hopelessness. But not a lot of confidence in facing each day and in facing the future, the unknown. And yet God says, you radiate confidence because no matter what trouble comes... No matter what pressures are pressing against you, I will give you my peace if you stay in fellowship with me. And my peace and my strength will uh, enable you to withstand any pressure that you ever come up against. That's what Jesus says here. And then he says this, I have conquered the world. I have overcome I have prevailed. I am victorious over the world. Therefore, there is nothing in this world that as long as you are in me and in fellowship with me, that you can't overcome, that you can't prevail, that you cannot be victorious. His victory is our victory, my friends. And we need to begin to live as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ in His victory. And realize that there's nothing that comes against us that Jesus and you and I can't handle together. You see. There's no question that Jesus has already... And and think about when he said this. Jesus is telling his followers, I've already conquered the world, even though tomorrow you're going to see me hanging on a cross. I mean, think about the images here. Again, that's why when Jesus says this is is as incredible as what he's saying. He's already telling his followers, I've conquered the world even though I'm going to be hanging on a cross. It's going to look like I'm defeated. It's like God's lost. I've already conquered the world. It's already taken care of. And that's why God 
wants to grow us to a place where we don't walk by sight. Where we walk by faith in Him and His Word. Because if you and I, just like the disciples, were living by sight, what we would experience in those next 24 hours, we would conclude. Jesus was defeated. God's dead. We've lost. Instead of, oh, He overcame. And you and I know, based upon what we know of the disciples, just like Jesus predicted, when they scattered and took off and fled and, and, and forsook Him and deserted Him and even, you know, denied Him, that they really didn't believe He had overcome the world. Because if they really would have believed and trusted and had their confidence that He had already overcome the world, they could have went through His crucifixion and all that Jesus went through, and they would have still been standing strong and confident. Because it's not about what we see going on around us. It's about the Word of God and the promises of God. And who we know God to be. With that, I want to share a few other verses with you in closing tonight. I'd like you to turn to 1 John and remind you of these verses as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Here, this is the context of talking about evil spirits in the first three verses of 1 John 4. And so notice right after he's talked about evil spirits and the spirit of the Antichrist, that John writes this, You are from God, little children, and have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Notice again, it's not like that this is up in the air like, you know, uh, well, we don't know how the battle's going to go. No. Yeah, the fight's in progress for us personally. But God wants us to focus on the fact that He's already overcome the world. And because His victory is our victory, we've overcome the world. And we've overcome every evil spirit. Then look at chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, 4. Because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. This is the conquering power that has conquered the world. Our faith. And again, this faith is not the faith that we necessarily put in Jesus when we initially accepted Him as our Savior. That's great, but that faith didn't carry us till now. Jesus wants to know, as He did with His disciples, do you believe now, at this present time? Is your faith kicked in? Are you trusting Me? Are you confident in Me now? Because whatever you and I are facing now, that's where our faith needs to be. That's why the Bible talks about an abiding faith. It's not the faith that we put back here. It's growing faith and keeping our faith up to date every day. Because the faith we might have used to overcome something a year ago isn't the same faith that we're going to be able to lock into now to deal with what we've got to deal with now. You see. And then he says in verse 5, Now who is the person who has conquered the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We conquer the world through Christ. We conquer evil spirits through Christ. 
And yes, we conquer the devil through Christ as well. One other verse. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And even though this verse is talking about the tribulation saints, the truth of this verse applies to us as well. In fact, I was so impacted by this verse that I wrote five blog entries on this one verse. Notice it with me. Revelation 12, 11. They've talked in the context about the accuser. Our accuser, the devil. In fact, he's referred to in four descriptions in verse 9 of Revelation 12. The dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. The word devil, diabolos, comes from the Greek word diabolo, which means to defame or slander. And John picks up on this point when he talks about the fact that now our accuser, verse 10 of brothers and sisters, of Christians, the one who accuses them day and night before God has been thrown down. And then notice verse 11 of Revelation 12. They overcame Him, the devil. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Folks, there's a... There's a special place in eternity for overcomers. And God wants us to be overcomers. And Jesus wants us to lock into the fact that He's already overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you and I are going to experience victory and prevail and overcome in the fights of life and the pressures that are going to come in this world, then all we have to do is stay in fellowship with Jesus. In Him we may have peace. In the world, we will have trouble. You see, we're never going to get out of trouble. There's never a time where God says, okay, you grow to this point as a Christian and you're never going to have any more trouble. No, no. What God is saying to us is, let me grow you and make you strong so that whatever trouble comes in your life, you can overcome it. You can prevail. You can be victorious in my victory that I share with you. Even Paul said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I begin to live in victory starting tonight. Hey, before we're dismissed, I just want to say, congratulations are in order to a new couple over here. George and Daisy, it is good to have you. These folks just got married. Yeah, stand up. George is going to kill me later for that, I know. And I know you guys know George because he was the wonderful interpreter for, for us a couple weeks ago when we did our bilingual service. Now it's clicking. Oh, okay, I, I knew I... Yeah, so great to have you guys here. Congratulations. Well, folks... We got a great Sunday coming. We're going to be in 2 Kings looking at a prayer from Elisha. I hope you'll uh, be able to be with us. I know it's a holiday weekend. I know that uh, Nellie has taken a group from our church down to Mexicali to, uh, to the church down there to minister this weekend. Uh, I've already heard great things uh, that the men uh, had a great retreat uh, this past weekend. A lot of great things happening. But if you can be with us this weekend and you're, you're not traveling or going to be out of town, we'd love to have you and bring somebody with you on Sunday. It's going to be a, a special Sunday here 
at the Oasis. Don't forget, too, that not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, the last Sunday of May, will be communion. And then the first Sunday in June is our potluck. So don't forget about those two dates as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, may we realize more than ever who we are and what we have in Jesus. That we don't have to live in discouragement and defeat. That God, you can raise us up to a whole other level of living if we would just learn to live in fellowship with you and to live in you. God, help us even tonight especially in a world that lacks your peace, even amongst Christians, to begin to live in you, God, so that we can have your peace. So that we can be whole again. So that we don't have to be, Lord, scattered and fractured and divided all over the place, but where we, Lord, just truly, like never before, center our lives in you. And God, I pray then that that tranquility of our mind, that inner quietness, that rest for our soul, would just be something, God, that just takes us to a whole different level with you, God. Because, Lord, your word tells us that this peace that you want to give us passes all understanding. We can't even articulate it, God. We can't even comprehend it. But, Lord, we can experience it. Even in the midst of trouble, God, you can bring us right into the eye of the storm with all this stuff swirling around us and we can still be at peace in you. God, I pray that would be so and be true in our lives. Help us to attain that, God. And to share that truth with others, God, who may not be at peace right now in their lives. Maybe they claim to be a Christian. They claim to know you, Jesus, as their Savior. But they are definitely not at peace. God, we know you want us to be at peace. So help us to get there, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week.